Barna research has found that if you take all of the young adults today who are active in church as teenagers, you'll find that about 20% of them are still active in church at the age of 29. Which means 80% of those who are active in church as teenagers leave the church by the time they're 29. Tom Renier, a leader in church health research, has been observing a devastating trend for several years that point to a conversion problem in the church, and he has tracked unbelievers by generation and found that 35% of those born before 1946, the builder generation, 35% of those do not have a relationship with Jesus. What does that also mean? 65% do. The next generation, my generation, boomers, have about 65% of their population who live without Christ, no relationship with Jesus. He calls the children of boomers busters, and these folks have been born between 65 and 84, 85% unbelievers. The final group he calls the bridgers, not sure where he gets that name, but uh, 96% non-Christians. And he quickly reports that that last number may improve because they're still young (laughs) and have opportunity to find Christ. Sobering statistics about the withdrawal of generation after generation from the body of Christ. And I will say from my vantage point and during my lifetime, I have seen a dramatic shift in church life. The way church was done when I was a kid is so much different than the way it is today, and in some ways the change is healthy. I'll grant that in some ways, perhaps not. And what has happened is that we have, we've bought into a philosophy of, um, well, let's just call it sophisticated, targeted ministry. It's highly specialized, it's highly compartmentalized highly researched. I don't know, would you say that the world sometimes has influenced the way we in the church actually do ministry? Sometimes I hear in the, in the, in the world that people want to be entertained today, and uh, oh, they, uh, the attention spans of the average American has gone down. Do you believe that? And so we have to package our truth differently. We have to package our services differently. Sometimes we have bought into this idea that uh, teens only want to be with teens. Children only want to be with children. And so we in the church have compartmentalized and we send children down their hall, teens down their hall, and we send here at Grace our adults. We don't even let them inside the church. We put them out in the portable buildings, right? Let's keep them away from each other. Yet, I read these kind of stories, these kind of comments all the time. There's a lady, young lady named Katie. She's 20 years old. 20. Her comment, I just love my church. I think it's amazing. Everybody knows one another. We all care about one another. It's not like compartmentalized between generations or between different types of people. It's like a big family. 
I want you to hear Lawrence's story. He, Lawrence is someone deeply involved in the church as a teen, yet he left the church his sophomore year in college. Spiritually floating in the wind. Well, he knew from his upbringing, I ought to go to church, and occasionally he would drop in, but nothing was really clicking. He got engaged, and he and his fiancée thought, you know, the right thing to do is what? <laughs> we got to go to church. Kind of resigned to, even if we don't like it, <laughs> we got to go. Someone told him about a congregation that was almost sounded kind of like a secret. The church had actually very little, if any, online presence and no physical allure. It met in an old pink church building. And they wound their way there and they found it and they took their seats in two rickety old folding chairs and experienced what they later describe as this gravitational orbit, they just kept coming back and coming back. And here's Lawrence's description of his church. It wasn't the preaching or the teaching. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) It certainly wasn't the building. It certainly wasn't the worship style. It was the shared life among the congregation that kept drawing us back. It was the moment at the end of the service when the smiling older lady in the wheelchair mentioned to them about the giving box in the back. It was, all, it was how a particular little red-headed child would grab an oversized portion of communion bread each week and dunk it all the way to the bottom of the cup. It was the way honest petitions were shared during prayer by tearful 20-somethings and eager seven-year-olds. It was the steady stream of invitations to meals and homes of caring adults who would feed us poor newlyweds-to-be. For Lawrence and his fiancée, every doxology the church sang, every long decision-making process, and even... Or perhaps especially every little imperfection in the worship service drew them ever closer to what they had been looking for all along, and that was a home. A place to belong. We're in a series of messages about the vision of this church, and today our focus is community, and the word we use here is connect. We just firmly believe that people are the most spiritually alive when they are connected to the body of Christ. Last week we looked at worship and our connection to Jesus personally. We believe that every person has been created with a need for acceptance and belonging in the church is is not to be so much a well-oiled machine that turns out successful ministry... but more like a family of people who genuinely care about each other from the youngest to the oldest. I want you to listen to the description of the church in the book of Acts. 
It was just launched. Uh, it's the second chapter of Acts. And as I read this, I want you to understand something about it before we read it. And that is that this church has over 3,000 members. And is getting ready to have more and more members. Because I think sometimes people hear what I say about church in that previous story and say, well, the only way you can do that is to have a really small church. Acts 2, 42 to 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. All those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Community is devotion. Devotion. The word devotion in the passage goes way beyond just showing up at events or just participating. It means to keep at something, even when it gets difficult or it doesn't go exactly right. I'm just devoted to it. To do that, it has to be deeper than just involvement. It's, uh, it's, it's from the person's heart. It is motivated by something that is deep within us. And uh, I want to focus on those first two devotions in the passage. He says, first of all, devoted. They hungered for God's Word as taught by the apostles here. They wanted to know the truth of what God was telling them. They wanted to learn. They wanted to be discipled. They were devoted, passionately seeking, talking about what the Word of God was teaching. If the Word of God is absent, or maybe maybe the Word of God is present, but there's really no devotion to it. If If the Word of God is not foundational, and we hover around it, and we talk about it, and we love it and cherish it. What happens is that the the church, the family, the body becomes shallow. It becomes trite. It kind of loses its uh, connectivity. It says that there was this devotion to fellowship, genuine, authentic community, the Greek word koinonia. Listen to the description. It says, this word means close association, partnership, a social intercourse that communities and communes together. It's far deeper, folks, than just being with friends. It's far greater than a two-hour meeting once a week. (laughs) It's belonging. It's acceptance. It's the contribution of my life to the group. I want to ask you a question, and uh, 
Well, sometimes I have to preface this when I ask this group a question. This is a rhetorical question. Think about it. How would you respond to someone who asks you what your church is like? What's your church like? What comes to mind? Well, it's this building over on Shell Road. Oh, I hope not. Oh, the style of worship at that church is like... Oh, we have this great ministry for... In Kara Powell's book, Growing Young, she interviewed hundreds of young people in churches that were effectively reaching people of all generation. And how do you think young people answered the question, what is your church like in these kinds of churches? I don't know about you. These statistics just kind of rattled my world because less than 3% talked about worship or worship services at all. What? The most common answer given by young people going to churches that were successfully reaching all generations was the relational warmth and acceptance of their church. One of those pastors put it this way. He says, We can hire and purchase cool, but we can't hire or fake warmth. Over and over, young people in those churches referred to church as being a place of warmth, relational, caring, and it was a drawing card. Community is family. Amen. As someone who is about to enter a new decade age-wise, <laughs> I say that a lot these days. I don't know. It's weighing on me. It's coming. I know it's going to be all right. I'm going to declare to you that you never outgrow your need for genuine, authentic Christian community. (laughs) Ever. We need each other. I mean, we have all these high-tech toys today, don't we? I mean, you can can be a part of a church and never go to the church. (laughs) You can watch me online. Did you know that? Oh, I've done that. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, you can give online. You can get the weekly announcements online. But the internet cannot help you move to your new apartment. Or hold your hand as you grieve the loss. The internet can't help you share the elements of God's table as a family. 
Community is face-to-face, folks. Always has been. Always will be. It's both interesting and inspiring to me that the number one thing that young people refer to as keeping them in church as adults is experiencing family-type relationships in the church they grew up in. When I was growing up, I knew, that, I knew that the adults loved me. They talked to me. They cared about me. We had activities where the whole church was together and generations were connected to each other. And uh, I'm going to find that when I get to be an adult. I'm going to seek out a church. I'm going to find a church like that. You know, one of the great chapters in Scripture on community is 1 Corinthians 12. And so many times we read this passage and, and perhaps you're kind of like me in the fact that I've always read this passage thinking of people like you, adults. But perhaps this scripture is not just talking about adults, but what if the scripture is talking about preschoolers and seven-year-olds and 12-year-olds? And single college students. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable on those we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Community, Christian community is honoring the weaker. I want you to think about the ramifications of that. Christian community is honoring the weaker. Weaker can mean just about anything. The Greek word means without strength. It means feeble. These are the people, be they adults, be they uh, preschoolers, seven-year-olds, Lonely widows. There are people who are more needy than the rest. And yet scripture says they're more worthy of honor. And I hope you see why. I hope you just think about that for a minute. Because if we judged people by their value to the success of the organization... Who would we be no different than? Everybody else. It's the way every business operates. It's the way every organization operates. What have you to contribute to the organization? If you are valuable to the organization, we value you. If you're, if you're a drain on the organization, we need to purge you. We believe that every person is created in the image of God and is valuable to Him and therefore valuable to us. And when we place higher honor on the weaker, it keeps things God's way. It's man's way to look at the more intelligent, the more talented, 
the more wealthy, as being more honorable, more respected. I would offer to you today that God's way is exactly the opposite. The scripture says this is the way to keep division away. This is the way to keep everybody caring for one another. Honor the weak. I know we're talking about this a lot these days, but this extends from generation to generation. The, the little child who maybe comes from another family because he comes from a troubled home is just as important as any of us. Elders, pastoral staff alike, right? Right? I love the way it says it in Ephesians 4.16, and we're going to put it up on the board. Ephesians 4.16, in the New Living Translation, it says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the others, other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Community. It's not a ministry strategy. Community is a way of life. It's an attitude. It's, it's, it's just how we live our lives. You know, as I think back to my days growing up in the church during the, okay, 60s and 70s, there you have it. It was a different world back then. Our TV only had three channels. How did we make it? We only had three channels, and in order to talk on the telephone, you had to be standing or sitting in the kitchen. Yeah. We listened to music on a, a thing that had this big round thing that spun. Yeah? Record player. We were, I was so excited. I remember, I think I was in late elementary, junior high, when cassette tapes came out. Remember that? Uh, some of you shaking your head. That dates you now, okay? I was so excited about cassette tapes because it made music for the first time mobile. We got to carry around 10-pound Walkmans, right? Yeah. Computers that were only owned by governments and colleges and took up whole rooms. I remember even early in my ministry, I used legal pads and pens to keep track of things. In college, I had this thing called a typewriter. I used it to type my research papers. Remember Whiteout? Used a lot of that. Yeah. But you know what else was different back then? Friday nights. Sundays. Most Friday nights, we were either down at the Reynolds house or they were at, they were at ours. And uh, they had a bunch of kids just like my family and we'd run around playing while our parents played this card game called Rook. 
Oh, sometimes the McGregors were there, or the Hegmeyers, or Frank and Bertha Best would come with their son Tommy, and uh, we always had so much fun as families every Friday night. Sunday afternoons, we'd always head over to Mrs. Kleinlein's house. Bunch of people there. She was a widow that lived alone, and uh, you know what I remember about Mrs. Kleinlein is that she loved me so much. Adults would help the kids get their food, and then we'd sit around and we'd sing some songs that people would suggest, and they were once in a while, they'd let me play the piano even though I was just seven or eight and not very good. It didn't seem like it mattered much if the notes were missed. We'd stay till three or four in the afternoon, um, but then we had to go because we had to be back uh, to church by six o'clock, right? For Sunday night service. And you know, I think back on that and I think, you know, I think the only reason we had Sunday night service was an excuse to get together so that afterwards we could go down to the Tasty Fish and sit around and eat ice cream. You know, one thing I remember about growing up, no one ever started talking about how tired they were. Or how busy and stressed they were. People, friends, community, we hungered for it. We fed on it. I was different back then, right? <laughs> Community. It was genuine, frequent, fun, multi generational, spontaneous. It's just a way of life. I just wish that community was just this natural, organic thing that we didn't have to even feel the need to program ministry because it just happens. I often think back to my growing up church. I wonder what they would have done if we had come in and said, okay, we're going to start a small group ministry to try to get you all to come together. What? Everyone was just having people over and playing games and hanging out and talking about important things sometimes. Sometimes not. And, and praying together when somebody was going through a difficult time in between card games probably. Because that's just the way the thing functioned. It's just the way friends do. And when I read a passage like this in Acts, it, it is more about this attitude than it is about even a ministry strategy. We're taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, and they shared freely with each other, and they praised God together, and it was organic, and it was natural, it was a way of life. And 
Sometimes I guess we just, uh, I, we just have to admit that uh, we've become somewhat isolated, closed off to ourselves in this modern culture. And it's the opposite of the scriptural teachings on the functioning of the body of Christ. And perhaps it's something that has been lost and we just don't realize how much we miss it. I, I Sure, we're busy. Sure, it's just the thought of another event on my calendar just overwhelms me sometimes. And, uh, but it's people. People that God uses in our lives to strengthen us and build us and teach us and grow us and love us and encourage us and correct us and It's relationships that bring life to us because that's the way God's created us to be. So I've asked myself these questions, so uh, I have to ask you too. What changes is he prodding in you in your life? Where have I, where have you marginalized people and relationships in favor of things that actually drain your life? Are you doing life with God's people or are you just kind of bumping into them occasionally? And finally, do we realize what we're missing? <laughs> do we realize what we're missing? Father, as we uh, think about these scenes that we see in the New Testament on Christian community, we think about the context of our culture today. We think about the ways in which our lives are ratcheted up in so many different ways and uh, the stress levels of people, the medication of America that's going on, the depression, the anxiety. The... Could it be that the lack of community, the lack of Christian community and fun and rest and spontaneous fellowship and uh, that which energizes, that which heals, that which encourages, that has been forfeited at the race in which we run, Father, could it be that that is what is contributing to the cultural mess that we see today? Father, I pray for this local church. I pray for Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas. I pray, Father, that the relationships that we have together, that they would be so genuine and authentic and uh, that there would be those times where outsiders come in and see something so genuine and authentic and accepting and that they're drawn to it. I, I think about this scripture in Acts 2 so many times. It, it closes with the Lord adding to their number. There's not any evangelism strategy there. It's just community, and there is this draw of the world.
to community, to being accepted, to be long and to be loved. And so, Father, I, I pray that even in our connect groups where we have relationships that are built around love and uh, around your word and around uh, a common Savior in you, Father, I pray that even in those connect groups that they explore community. What does it mean to really care about one another? What does it really mean to do life together? And uh, are we that? Or are we a two-hour-a-week meeting? Or... And may we, Father, as a church, be continually, continually committed to the presentation of ourselves and the offerings of our gifts into this genuine and authentic Christian community we call Grace Bible Church, Father. I pray for those that are visiting with us, those who are here hungering for a touch upon their soul. I pray for those that may be here today who are struggling with some issues of life or struggling with a marriage or struggling with kids. I just pray, Father God, today that they would find people who care genuinely about their situation. I pray for them, Father. I pray that they would find a measure of your rest and your peace in their soul and that you'd bring clarity to the confusion that they see. I pray, Father God, for your will to be done. Father, we celebrate you. We celebrate you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.